Hey everyone, my name is Juan Clark. I'm a second year MHA student in the Sloan Program in Health Administration, and I'll be your host for The Health Conscious. The Health Conscious is a podcast that was started by students in the Sloan Program in Health Administration at Cornell University. The podcast was created to educate our audience by providing a stimulating discussion on the U.S. healthcare industry and how it works. We'll be interacting with professionals in various sectors of healthcare to hear their career articulation, perspectives of the current state of healthcare, and key challenges and solutions to address them. As always, we want to thank all of our listeners for their continued support, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm excited to welcome our guest today, Stephanie Schwartz. I've had the pleasure of knowing Stephanie since 2019 when I interned under her while at Atlantic Health System in New Jersey. At the time, she was president of Children Medical Center, which is a community hospital within their system. As of recently, Stephanie has become the president of Overlook Medical Center, which is the second largest hospital in the system. Stephanie is a well-respected healthcare executive that's known for her vigor, warm leadership style, and mentoring others. Thanks, Juan. It's so good to be here. It's great to talk. It's good to see you again. Likewise. Um, So for some of our listeners who may be new to you, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I've been doing healthcare leadership. Wow. 30 years now. Um, I have a uh, cultural anthropology degree. That's kind of my core with a healthcare administration degree on top of it. And then I started out on my road uh, in hospital operations and have been had the great opportunity to work with a lot of great people in a lot of great hospitals. And now I have the honor to be at Atlantic Health System and to have led two of its hospitals. Really proud of the teams that I get to work with. Wow, you definitely had a tremendous and, and longstanding career in healthcare as well. Um, in addition to being in hospital leadership, you also have many other involvements in organizations, even within your community. So um, what are some of your other involvements and how have you been able to manage balancing all of them? So thanks for asking about that. I like to call those my heart projects. So one of my biggest passions is food security or creating food security. So I work with a a nonprofit organization in Patterson, New Jersey. I sit on their board and I volunteer with them. And we work to make food security happen in that community. And that means not just providing food, but providing housing and job readiness and really getting people to be able to get second chances and and stand up. So for me, food security is incredibly important in this rich country that we live in. So it's a passion project. Um, I also believe in programs like Boys and Girls Club, who I work with, getting kids uh, the support that they need to grow up to be their best persons. And so those are important projects and they balance out my world. So my work is important to me. My passion projects are important to me. And then I really didn't say anything about my family, but I'm also a mom and a grandmom and I have fur babies, um, a new little kitten and two grown up boys who are young men and uh, five grandchildren. So that's the other part of my life that's really important and a great husband, of course. Wow, packed house to say the least. Um, you know, I, I really like your distinction between, you know, kind of your passion and the work that you do as well. And so I know that you call them heart projects, but I really uh, appreciate that, especially kind of giving your respect for food security. You know, food is often medicine. And so a lot of these times in maybe lower income communities are those who don't have access to food that also affects their health as well. And so I like how you can kind of tie that all in together. I love that. I love that you said that because that is so critical. It's so important. If we are going to make our communities healthier, 
they people have to have food. Children can't be hungry. Persons need healthy fruits and vegetables and the kinds of proteins that they want to eat so that they don't get diabetes, they don't have high blood pressure, they aren't overweight. Um, it is just essential. And we have the ability to do that in this country to make people healthy, not just through medical care, which is important and, and, and part of what we are all driven to provide, but also through food as pharmacy or food as uh, health. Absolutely. So kind of going off of the sensitivity, at Atlantic Health System, Chilton is one of the smaller community hospitals in the system, and Overlook is the teaching hospital, and it's the second largest in the system. From a leadership perspective, can you talk about the experience of being president of both hospitals, and were there any nuanced differences that you had to learn? So it's interesting. I often get asked between the two organizations, and where I like to start is that I actually think that they are very similar. Now, size wow. clearly makes them different. So one has a census about 140 a day and an overload, you know, more closer to 400, a little bit over 400 a day. So size is so interesting in that they are both community hospitals. Overlook has teaching programs, so that is a little bit different, but they sit inside communities. They're there for the community, for the families that live in the communities. They provide essential health care for the community and they keep people close to home. Both hospitals don't provide tertiary level care all of the time. Overlook has a tertiary level neuroscience program and some tertiary level cancer programs. Um, but basically, we're community hospitals. So that's where I see the similarities. And that's why I enjoy so much leading these organizations, because healthcare is so personal and so central to who we are as people in our neighborhoods. And that's what these two hospitals do. So yes, they're different in size and that brings complexity at times, but they're similar in that community authenticity. We employ people from the communities in both organizations um, and we take care of our neighbors and we are the neighbors, we live in these communities. So they do have a real strong similarity as well as just um, a unique difference in size. Wow, I really appreciate the fact that you kind of mentioned that hospitals sit within the community. So in reality, they are really a part of the community. A lot of people actually live there who work at the hospital and kind of vice versa. So again, we really think about, you know, community health, regardless if the, it's a smaller hospital or a 400-bed hospital, it's still kind of the same sentiments, which I really appreciate. Um, I know briefly you touched on uh, the complexity that it may be uh, the different levels of complexity between the two hospitals. Maybe could you maybe get an example of what that may be? Sure. So um, given its size, number of nursing units we have, we have a unique uh, challenge in bringing pe people through the organization from their emergency room or uh, their emergency room experience into their inpatient uh, rooms or to surgery. So when you are a larger organization, throughput becomes exponentially more complicated that when you're in a smaller organization, you're a little bit leaner, you're a little bit more nimble, um, and you're able to pull those patients. So I see that as a very distinct difference um, between the two organizations. Chilton was able to get patients to bed a little bit faster, a little bit uh, in, a, in a more direct manner. Overlook, um, at times, struggles with volume and just bringing all of that volume in through our emergency room into our inpatient units. So um, it can be more complex. We have more 
uh, units. We have different specialties on those units. So it can make throughput a little bit more complicated. Um, other things that are challenges between the two organizations or where um, the complexity is different. Um, for example, at Overlook, we've got a very strong neuroscience program. We do everything from neuro neurosurgery to a general neurology and all the subspecialties of, of neurology, such as movement disorder, dementia, um, and other types of headaches and other types of neurological programs. So in a community hospital like Chilton, we may offer one or two of those services. And certainly we aren't we didn't do neurosurgery, but at Overlook, we do that complex kind of care. So we have a higher level of critical care for the recovery of those neurosurgical patients. So with size comes the ability to be a little bit more complex and a little bit of a higher order of some of the clinical programs, but all really important because we're a continuum as a health system. So we often will be bringing flying patients in from Chilton or one of our Western hospitals over to Overlook to have the higher end, in this particular example, neurosurgical work. Wow, that was a really great distinction that you uh, talked about. You know, in smaller hospitals, your throughput may be a little bit faster, but in larger hospitals, the amount of complex care that you can actually provide to your patients is a little bit higher. But however, they both are needed within a hospital system because it all ties into one kind of ultimate streamline. So I really appreciate your distinction on that part. So the pandemic in the U.S. has spurred many different innovative solutions. Most health systems are now focused on trying to move toward what we would call a new normal. Were there any innovations or operations that were put in place during the pandemic that you will continue to use as part of like your normal operations? So, wow, the pandemic. Never thought in my entire career that I would have led through a pandemic. So I have had the fortune um, experience to be through many natural disasters. I was the CEO of a hospital during Superstorm Sandy. And we were eye of the storm. So after I experienced that, I really thought that that would have been the big event. And then we go through COVID and three years of COVID. And here we sit post-COVID. And it is a new world. It is different. And it will never go back to where it was. So what are those things that we learned and that we're going to hold on to? So telehealth. Telehealth had a real hard time before COVID. Nobody wanted it. Everybody thought it was impersonal. Um, we didn't know how to charge for it. It really was having a hard get up. It was really having a hard start. And then COVID happened and we needed telehealth out of necessity. We needed to bring services to people in a safe way. We, we also needed resources, high-end resources, critical care physicians, and different specialties throughout the country as we confronted this horrible viral experience. So, so telehealth got a hold and now it's stuck. And that's really good because it has become a way that we provide healthcare. Physicians like it, health hospitals are using it, the technology is getting better. So I think that's a great innovative innovation that was there, but it just wasn't leveraged. And it took this awful disaster for us to learn how to use it and for it to stick. Trying to think of another innovation. I think that we've really learned through COVID how to uh, focus on our, our health as healthcare workers. You know, we've been through a lot. 
It was really dark times. It was difficult times. We have learned um, more about resilience and strength and more commitment to our why we are all in this, this business. But we've also learned how important it is for us to take care of ourselves and each other that I don't know was really acute before COVID. We may have talked about wellness and and things like that, but we really didn't practice it. And now we are acutely aware that our wellness as healthcare team members is valuable, is precious, and is what makes us do what we do every day. So we're more protective of it and we're more focused and we talk and do um, activities around that in a more purposeful way. So I think that's good. I don't think we've got, we've perfected that yet, uh, but we are certainly more attuned to that. That's great. That's literally great. I think, again, you know, a lot of people think about telehealth and think that the pandemic just created telehealth. However, it really was around before the pandemic. But again, there were a lot of different barriers to the ultimate adoption of it. But luckily, that was one of the greatest benefits of the, the pandemic was that people were really able to kind of grasp onto it. And it's still being used today in the modern time. Um, another thing that you kind of mentioned was really just the emphasis on, you know, your resilience and prioritizing the health of employees. When you think about it, you know, the hospital was really the frontline foundation of the entire pandemic. So you had people who worked long hours and still, you know, were facing the 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 virus head on and, and things on that nature. So to really kind of kind of put that emphasis on make sure that you take care of yourself so that you can then take care of patients. I think that's a great standpoint from any organization during the pandemic. So kind of going off of last question, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing in healthcare? And have you thought of maybe any solutions to address some of those challenges? So we are facing challenges of the labor market. So during COVID, many of our team members had decided that they would retire. Uh, They worked through COVID, which was tremendously stressful. And then when a window opened, maybe we would get one of those gaps in the COVID cycle, we would see people retire. We've also seen people choose not to work in acute care, whether those are nurses who have decided to work in other healthcare arenas or people in our service sectors or our financial sectors just say, I just need a break from healthcare. So we know that a lot of industries are suffering from the labor shortage, but healthcare employees, nurses, uh, skilled labor, Um, are not easy to just incorporate. You don't just wake up one day and say you want to be a nurse. We've got a long um, study ahead of our nurses in order to get them to be able to work on our nursing units and experience. So we're working hard to bring team members in and that's um, stressing our organizations. We've also, during COVID, really experienced a shift. The care that can be provided outside of the acute care environment is outside the acute care environment. So what is left here? Our patients are more sick. They're the more critical patients. So they take team members who are able to care for those types of patients. So the work is heavy work, heavy kind of um, uh, more critical in in nature. So um, you have to be ready to work in this environment. um, And that is uh, challenging work. So So it's not easy to find team members who are interested in necessarily working in acute care. So across the country, we're all struggling with finding folks who want to work in hospitals. 
um, after this pandemic. It'll happen, but it'll probably be a good two to three years until we fill out our ranks of team members again. Wow. It takes some time. Absolutely. I think you you know, really touched on something that a lot of people recall now the acute care crisis. And so many patients during the pandemic oftentimes didn't have the ability to receive care or uh, you know, didn't really come in for their regular checkups or things of that nature. So they actually end up becoming a little bit more sicker than what they typically were probably before the pandemic. So that requires more care to be provided, which is, again, the same employees that were on the front lines are now the same employees that, you know, are there again taking care of some of the sicker patients. So I could definitely imagine that the, the overall stress that could take. Yeah, we were also seeing cases, um, we're also seeing uh, different types of surgeries just become outpatient surgeries. So total hips and total knees, patients are coming in and instead of staying in the hospital for a couple of days, they go out the next day after surgery. So imagine we used to have nursing units that were full of patients that had elective orthopedic uh, procedures. They were uh, generally well patients, they were walkie-talkies, they um, enjoyed interacting with folks, they were getting physical therapy, um, but that's a different type of patient than a patient who might have comorbidities of congestive heart failure and diabetes and be 90 years old. So um, the complexion of the types of patients that we have based on their diagnosis has really changed because a lot of the work that can be done as an outpatient is being done as an outpatient now. Wow. That's again, I think that's one of the great innovations that actually happened during the pandemic was that, you know, typically we always thought care had to be within the four walls of the hospital. However, care can really be in the community or in outpatient settings, which I think benefits both the organization as well as the patient. So um, absolutely. I think that's a great kind of tie back to the what happened during COVID that happened during COVID. Um, and that's good because people who shouldn't be in an acute care environment who are healthy should be at home, should be recovering at home, should be getting therapies at home. Um, so that was a good thing that I think happened during COVID as well. I definitely do agree. Definitely agree. Yeah. Um, so I want to shift pace just a little bit. And I want to just kind of ask a little bit about your leadership. So uh, like myself, but uh, those who also have the opportunity to interact with people all talk about your dynamic leadership style. So what are some leadership attributes that you've attained over the years that really helped you out in your career? So I uh, enjoy working and being with people, though, um, you know, and others that work with me, I say that I'm a, uh, I've learned to be a good extrovert. So I'm really an introvert. I love to read and do things that are quiet when I'm outside of work. But when I'm here at work, I've learned and enjoy and get energy from the people that I work with. So those are the team members that I work with, whether they're my senior leadership team or the people that are uh, making our, our meals in our dietary department. So really seeking people out and hearing their stories is something that gives me a lot of energy. Um, so that has been a really important and an evolving leadership characteristic. I don't think I was as curious uh, when I was a younger leader as I am now. So that's been important. Um, some of the other leadership uh, characteristics that have been really important to me um, throughout my career have been being flexible and where I work, where being like what state I'm in and where my jobs are. And I think for young executives, the more narrow you make your job search, like if I can only be in one state um, in one kind of arena, your job prospects are going to become very narrow. But I've always been very broad and willing to 
bring my family with me and move to a different job in a different organization in a different state. And in the early part of my career, I would say for three quarters of my career, that was really important in allowing me to open up prospects that were going to elevate my career, be interesting. Uh, so I think that level of flexibility is important. Um, and that has been uh, something that I've done uh, throughout my career. I've been in several different states um, and worked in a couple of different healthcare systems at different institutions. Wow. Again, I think, you know, your main two points from that were um, well, part of your leadership is that you kind of mastered the extroverted introvert. So you're introvert mm-hmm. by by nature. However, you've also learned that kind of to display your extroverted kind of features and talking to different people across the hospital or really getting to know your, your employee side, which, again, I think is a great kind of leadership perspective. And um, your second point is really just to be flexible for opportunities. So not being so narrow or being so very specific about either where we want to work or what we want to work. Because again, we never really know what opportunities may come outside of that. And even yourself, you said you worked in many different states and many different hospitals because of that. So I definitely appreciate that. And I'd also say, Juan, that it's really important that when you get those opportunities, that you really step forward. When you see a project, ask to lead it, ask to be part of it. Step up to that table. I did that during my career. Didn't always succeed. Didn't always get asked to be on that team. But by being open to taking on projects within your organization or within your your sphere that you are working in really allows people to see what you can do and gives you great experience, if nothing else. So really, when you get there, then being present and showing up and being engaged and taking on parts of projects or leading projects, I think is really critical for success in your career. Absolutely. You know, one advice that you gave me a a long time ago was that if you were invited to the room, sit at the table, you know, don't sit on the outskirts or anything, sit at the table. And so I've been able to really take that same advice and apply it in many different settings. So if there was an opportunity that was presented to anybody, I would always jump on it or I always put my name in the hat or always trying to, you know, kind of be on that forefront. And so I've been awarded some amazing different opportunities because of that. So uh, I can even say thank you for for telling me that years later. I'm glad I'm glad to hear that, because I do think figuratively and intellectually, we all have to be at the table. Sometimes tables get crowded. And when that happens, many of us may need to kind of shift over, shift to the side, but be at the table. That's where the action's happening. Be at the table um, and people will see your interest. Um, You'll be exposed to people around that table. um, And that's just critical for success. So I'm glad that you have done that. That's awesome. Definitely. Uh, so similar to uh, myself as well, you've supported and been a mentor to many leaders over the years. What advice would you to give to a developing leader in healthcare? So network, network, network. Don't ever be afraid to ask somebody to give you a little bit of their time to talk about themselves, their career, connections. Don't ever be afraid to ask someone to connect you to somebody else. It, those relationships are critically important. So I think that opportunity to meet people, to network, uh, to engage is crucial to uh, success and to your career paths. Wow, that's amazing. 
Well, we want to thank you for joining us today, Stephanie. You know, I think you just discussed a lot of different key points. Even I really like to enjoy hearing about your heart projects and especially the distinction that you made between operations at a larger hospital versus a smaller hospital. But again, even the, 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 your leadership tips of being that extroverted, introvert type of dynamic, as well as again, being flexible and, and really kind of stepping to the table. I think the listeners today are really going to, going to enjoy the episode. Thanks, Juan. It's been so much fun talking with you. It's great to uh, see you on Zoom and to reconnect. So I appreciate you including me. And I look forward to hearing about all your adventures as you uh, graduate and move uh, in through your career. I'll be sure to keep you updated. Thanks, Juan. So as always, we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning to the episode today. If you all like the episode, please make sure to subscribe and tune in for the next one.